we have been going through the book of Exodus. We've covered the first two chapters, and we've been asking this question, what does it mean for us to be the people of God? And church, as we get here to Exodus 3, we're going to talk about two points this morning um, that follow what does it look like for us to be restored to God. And I want to encourage you, these these may be points that you have heard before. Uh, certainly for, for many of you, if you have had a relationship with the Lord for any amount of time, then, then sometimes when you come across places like this in this word, it, it may feel like it's elementary. It may feel like something you've heard. But I think it is, it is amazing, church, how quickly we are to move on from some of those things. And whenever we forget to go back and remind ourselves of it, we, we tend to later on, we just kind of slowly start to shift the way we think, the way we live as Christians because we forget some of these foundational truths. So at this week and next week, um, we're going to be looking at a familiar story. It's the story of the burning bush uh, where God comes and he calls Moses to go deliver his people. Because uh, we saw from Exodus 2 last week, God is getting Moses ready to go deliver his people. But as God is talking to Moses, God is putting on full display for us what at its core does our restoration look like? What is the foundation for how you and I are to be right with God? And it is, it is fascinating, church, because as we read this, you're going to hear when God is talking to Moses, Moses does not pick up on it right away. Moses asks a ton of questions. This is uh, something that's brand new to Moses. And church, sometimes when, when we are hearing these the gospel realities again for the first time, we forget that many, many of us started in this same place as Moses. We asked some of the same questions. God, this, this does not make sense to me. God, I really don't understand what you are asking. And so as we are you know, reading through this book to see what does it mean for us to be the people of God here at New River Fellowship, I want to invite you, remember the place where you, you came to hear about the gospel, to, to understand what it was to give your life over to God, because this is the position Moses is in. And even though it sounds foundational, church, it is very powerful for us this morning as we read this text. So we are our main point where we're going today, uh, and this, this is part one, okay, because we're, we're not going to cover all of Exodus 3 and 4 today, but, but part one, chapter 3, God's restoration begins first, church, with simply knowing who God is. You and I, we are restored to God first by knowing who he is, and second, by entering into his presence to worship him, which is exciting for me to get to see you guys choose to do that each week. We're going to see that God makes that critical for us to be right with him, knowing who he is, entering into his presence to worship him. I'm going to read the entire chapter 3 so you get to hear the beautiful story together uh, as it would have been read aloud to the audience. And then we will we'll go back and we'll, we'll see how do we see the call to know God and the call to enter into his presence to worship. This is Exodus 3 beginning uh, in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. 
Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land, the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand, and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Lord, I pray that you would humble our hearts and our minds to hear you this morning, God. These foundational truths that we see that you want us to be with you. You want us to know you. You desire us to worship you. God, may we not move on so quickly from them this morning. To, to do that, Lord, would be to miss your heart for us. God, help us to understand just what you really, really, truly desire of us, Lord. Not what we think you want of us. Not what we believe that you, you are working in and we go do that. Lord, let us hear truly from your word how, how may we be right with you. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen. In Exodus chapter 3, it begins in verse 1 uh, by indicating Moses is still in Midian. 
right? This is where Moses was when we left him in chapter 2. He's still with his father-in-law. And it's, we will talk about this later, but in verse 1, you see Moses' father-in-law's name is Jethro. Last week, we saw his name was Ruel from in verse 18 of chapter 2. Why there's two names there, we will get to it, I promise. But just for now, we just see that Moses is in Midian. And he's leading the flock, he's living, he's settled down there. And we see in verses 2 through 3 that God has come to speak to Moses. Now there's a phrase in verse 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. And then if you continue reading, the text says that God is speaking to Moses. So don't get hung up on, is this an angel, is this God? There's there's people that have debated that for years. and, And really, all we need to know is the Lord is talking to Moses. Uh, there's, there's times in the Old Testament you see this phrase, the angel of the Lord, and, and some people read that and say, well, that's a picture of Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ, like God, the, the second form of the Trinity, the Son has shown up. I don't disagree with that, but, but honestly, church, just know God is talking to Moses directly because he's getting very personal with Moses in these verses. And we're going to see the the first part of our main point this morning is God talks to Moses that God's restoration begins with knowing who God is. Church, that you and I, the first thing we need to be right with God is to know who God is. You see this in verses 4 through 5 when Moses, he sees the burning bush and he stops. He says, whatever's taking place there is something that is different than I have seen at at any point in my life. I really want to know what's going on there. And verse 4, God sees Moses stop. God sees Moses say, there's something different about this. I want to know more. So God reaches out to Moses, and the first thing he says is, don't come any closer. (laughs) Which which seems kind of odd, but God says, no, you, you need to take off your shoes before you step into my presence. And that's not because God doesn't like us tracking mud into the house, as my mom may have told me at one point. But that's more so because God is teaching Moses, I am a holy God. I am a righteous God. If the very first thing you need to know about me, Moses, is who I am is holy, who I am is righteous. And he identifies himself in verse 6 as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He, he places Moses in his Israelite heritage. We, we saw last week that Moses has found out at this point that he's a Hebrew that was adopted by the Egyptians. And God says, I, I am the God of your people, Moses. In verse 13 and 14, Moses asks, hey, I I get that you're the God of of my people, but can you tell me what your name is? And it's, it's an interesting question because, again, if you guys remember where Moses was last week, the last time he was interacting with the Hebrews, he had just killed the, the Egyptian man. And so he steps in to intervene with these two Hebrews who are arguing. They go, what, are you going to kill us like you killed the last guy? Suffice to say, Moses is not on good terms with the Hebrews at this point. So he's thinking, hmm, these people that think I am Lord over them and may try to kill them, if I show up and tell them, hey, your God has been talking to me, they're going to be wondering, right, you know, how do we really know it's, it's our God that was talking to you? So Moses asks God for his name in verse 13, and God shares his name with Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. Powerful. 
The Hebrew phrase there is hayah aser hayah, which Old Testament tradition and Hebrew tradition shortens to a single word, Yahweh. The name for God, I am. It is the most common name for God. You see it 160 times in the book of Genesis alone. When God shows up and declares who he is to his people, he describes himself as Yahweh. Now, there are other times uh, when, when God introduces himself, he, he may use a different name to teach them about him. When he shows up to Hagar in the wilderness, he, he introduces himself to Hagar as the God who sees. Uh, at, at other times, he shows up and says, hey, I'm the God of your forefathers. So, so God uses different names to communicate different things about him, but his proper name simply means I am. I am who I am. There is no equal To me, I can describe myself in terms of attributes. I'm a loving God. I'm a gracious God. I'm a righteous God. But there is nothing that compares to who I am. And again, in verse 15, God now tells Moses, now that you know who I am, you go tell the people of Israel who I am. In verse 15, go gather the elders, sorry, 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, Yahweh. Who I am is now speaking to you. And I think just in this is this is fascinating just how intentional scripture is to communicate different points. Just real quick with bear with me, we dive on the rabbit trail. Why Moses calls his father-in-law Jethro here and why he used rule last week. Most people believe Jethro is is Moses' father-in-law's his proper name. Okay, if you read throughout the Old Testament, you see Jethro is the most common word associated with Moses's father-in-law. It it just is a Hebrew word meaning his abundance. But Moses first calls his father-in-law rule, which means something else. Rule means friend of God. We know that Moses's father-in-law was a priest of not God's people. Okay, the, the people of Midian didn't know who the Israelite God is. So when Moses calls his father-in-law a priest, most likely he was a pagan priest, right? He was a priest to a God that was somebody else's God. I mean, he, he didn't know who God was. So Moses first shows up and says, my father-in-law's name is Rule. My father-in-law knows who God is. He is a friend of God. And it's only after making that clear that rule knows who God is, that Moses now in Exodus 3.1 shares, but what's his father-in-law's real name? Jethro. So it's cool. Moses is being intentional in the text to say, you don't really know who somebody is. They don't really even know who they are until they know God. And now Moses, who has you know, presumably maybe heard about this God because he says, Uh, In verse 4, he says, here I am. He's interacting with God. He doesn't really even know God until God comes and meets him. God shares with him his proper name. Names are a a powerful thing in the Hebrew language. So, you know, when when I say bear with me, when you come to names in the Bible, especially names that were, you know, Hebrew words or Greek words that meant something, they, they are very powerful in teaching. And so the usage of different names teaches us 
uh, a lot of what the author is trying to get at as he's making this, this account. So Moses is showing truly, church, we need to know who God is, right? When God shows up to Moses, Moses asks his name and God gives his name, Yahweh, to Moses. But even in the details of, but what's Moses' father-in-law's name? Moses doesn't share that information until we know his father-in-law knows God. Church, Moses shows us God desires us to know who he is. And I think it's, it's interesting, if, if you were listening to the text, as God shows up, Moses really struggles with knowing who God is. In verse 11, he says, okay, but who am I that should go talk to Pharaoh? Like, I'm nobody to Pharaoh. Pharaoh wants to kill me. Why should it be me? And then when God answers him, then Moses says, but God, I don't really know who you are. What if your people don't listen to me? So as God is desiring to make himself known to Moses so that Moses can make him known to the people, Moses is wrestling with this, church. And I, I think as, as I was reflecting on this this week, we wrestle in the same way that, that Moses does, church, that Moses is showing God to be a relational God, that God desires us to know who he is. We struggle to be relational people. We, we struggle to bear God's image as, as relational people. And, and, and the way I was, was realizing it shows up in this text is that we, we just really don't know one another that well at times. We, we let others know things about ourselves, right? We let others know like the things we like to do, the things we don't like to do, our interests, our hobbies, our opinions, things that we would describe about ourselves. But who we truly are, the things that we're broken about, the things that we struggle with, the things that we wrestle with, the things that we love that are very dear to us. Church, it, it, many of you, if, if you're like me, because I wrestle with this too, there's, there's probably only a small, very core group of people that like really know those things about you. And it's something about being known that way makes us vulnerable. So we're content to let other people know things about us. And so when you know things about someone, sometimes that leads you to feel like you do know somebody, right? Like you know things about them, so you say, well, I know all these things about them. I know what they would probably do, what they like, what they don't like. That means I probably know them in church. It, it, it's not the same. And I wonder, this really bleeds over into our relationship with the Lord as well. If, if we're not careful, it's, it is easy for us to know things about God without actually really knowing who God is. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He says that the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him is, is eternally critical. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, Jesus points out that we are able to know what God is up to, what God is interested in. 
what God likes, what God doesn't like. He, he has revealed those things to us. And so we can take that knowledge and we can just spend our lives doing stuff. Jesus says, hey, you know, there's people, they're prophesying my name. They even are casting out demons in my name. They're doing mighty works in my name. And yet they do not know who I am. Church, it, it may feel very basic and very foundational, but I, I want to encourage you this morning. God desires you to know who he is, not just what he's trying to do in your life, not just what he wants and expects of us as Christians, but to really know who he is. What does he love? What does he pursue? What, what is he at work doing in the whole world, not, not just in our individual lives? And I wonder, too, church, if most of our struggles come from not really knowing people because, you know, we, we get the idea in our heads of, oh, I know some things about them, so this is, you know, how I treat them and how I respond to them. You know, we, we end up distancing ourselves from people. I think a perfect example of this, honestly, from, from my own life uh, is my relationship with Virginia Tech football. Uh, Abigail and my parents, hear me out, Abigail and my parents have heard me talk a lot about the team in recent weeks that I'm just done watching them and paying attention to them. And many of you who have been alive far longer than me who, you know, knew, uh, in my life, all I really knew was Frank Beamer and the winning season. Some of you guys know how bad it was prior and then it was better previously way back. But because I feel like I know a lot about the team, I know a lot about the players, I know who the coaches are, I know the statistics, I feel like that gives me some, some ability to criticize and to say they have no clue what they're doing, when will the season end, certain people just need to leave. Like Because I feel like I know things about them, then I, it, it gives me the right to speak into their life and to treat them accordingly, church. And I, I realized this week, I have no clue who any of these people are. I have no clue what it takes to run a football team. I've never met any of them in person. Maybe the closest I've ever coming to know them is I had Tim Settle get on the bus with me the last time when I was here as a student. That, that's about it, okay? Maybe the athletes get onto the bus and I get to see them. That's it. I don't know them at all. But because I know things about them, I feel like I should be able to criticize and to jump in on the bandwagon. In church, I, I realize Moses says, no, the, the difference between knowing about someone and actually truly knowing them dramatically transforms how we live, dramatically transforms how we respond to that person. So, so let, let's not gloss over it this morning. When, when Moses sees God, he asks, God, who are you? Tell me your name. I want to know who you are. And when God gives his name to Moses, it's not something about him. It is the fullness of who he is. And the fullness of who God is, there is no equal, church. No equal. I am who I am. God desires us to know him and to make him known. That's why one of our values here at New River Fellowship is sharing and experiencing God. We, we don't just want to learn facts and information about him and turn around and teach facts and information about him to other people. We want to know who God is. Now, knowing who God is does lead us to practically do something, and that is, that's the second part of our main point this morning, that knowing God leads us to entering into his presence to worship him. 
that God's restoration begins with us knowing who he is, and it, it leads us to physically enter into his presence to worship him. If you look back at verses 3 through 6, when Moses finds out he's in the presence of the Lord, he doesn't really know what that means. God teaches him, hey, you have to take your shoes off. I am a holy God. You cannot have any dirt before me. God, God revealing you are in my presence. He says, you know, don't go away, just don't come any closer. Like what I want from you is to be in my presence. In verse 8, and then again in verse 10, and then again in verse 12, you see God sharing with Moses how he's hearing Israel's cries. He knows what they're going through. He's preparing to deliver them, and oh, by the way, Moses, you are who I will be delivering them through. But God's goal is not just to get them out of Egypt, but to bring them into his presence that they may worship him. Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them, and he, he lists the, the people who are currently residing in that land, to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. It is an Old Testament phrase associated with the presence of God, the goodness of life. I don't just want to take you out of Egypt, Israel. I want to bring you to be with me. Verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then verse 12, when you have brought them out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. We're leaving Egypt. You know, we're, we're being delivered from our, our bondage, our slavery, but we are going somewhere purposefully. And where we are going is into God's presence to worship him. Verse 15, God connects knowing him to entering into his presence to worship him, where he says, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is him telling Moses what to tell the people. Has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Because you know who I am, you are now in my presence. You are living with me. You are making my name known to one another. You are worshiping me. Verse 16 and 17 repeat the same pattern as verses 11 through 12, that God's not just taking them out of Egypt, but he's bringing them into his presence. Verse 18, God instructs the people to ask Pharaoh to release them so that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God, that they may literally go out into the wilderness, go get into his presence and worship him. Even in verses 20 through 22, which, which I was listening, that the second song I believe that, that John and the team were singing us through about how God is a bountiful God, and he's giving his blessings to his children. I mean, there's no greater blessing than being right with him, but even after that, God continues to give blessings to us. And right here, God shows, not only am I going to bring my people into my presence, I know that they're coming out of a place where they were slaves and they have nothing. So I will be providing all of their needs to them as they are leaving on their journey to come and worship with me. And where their needs are coming from, ironically, churches, the people that were enslaving them. That is, God is doing his deliverance work. He's not just bringing them into his presence, they may worship him. He is providing them everything they need for this, for this journey. Knowing God leads us to enter into his presence to worship him. And as we think about how we struggle with this church, I, I think these, the, these two struggles are connected, right? If we don't know God relationally, we're not going to 
want to really be in his presence. If we don't know who he is, why would we want to come before him and, and worship him? That just, that just wouldn't make sense to us. And, and I think, you know, the more we know about God, kind of like with the football analogy, it, it leads us to be distant, right? I know things about tech, so I feel like I can criticize. I'm never going to go show up and say that to them in person. That, 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 that would not be something I would want to do. But then if we're not careful and that bleeds over into our relationship with God, what that looks like is we can start to do a lot of things for God because we know a lot about him, but we're not actually living life with him. Uh, another good way to picture this uh, that I was, I was thinking about this week it is something from, from Abigail and I's marriage, which I, I asked her if it was okay to share with you guys. Um, I know a lot about Abigail. And one of the things I know about her is that her two least favorite household chores to do are laundry and dishes. So church, guess what my two favorite household chores are now to do? Laundry and dishes. Now, I, I know that about her, but I've learned that just because I know that about her and that she appreciates when I do laundry and dishes, you know, appreciates when I do anything, but especially those two things. Even though I know that about her, there are times where doing the laundry and dishes are not helpful to her. There's times where a kid may be throwing a fit, or it might be bath time, or it might be bedtime and getting them ready. And if I take, choose that exact moment to go disappear, and even if I'm doing laundry and dishes, which are things she would, would like me to do around the house, it's the exact opposite of what she would actually have me do in that moment because many of you parents know or those anybody that's worked in the nursery or work with kids at least one kid is a two man job any kids are are a multiple person job so if i choose those moments of bedtime bath time somebody's throwing a fit as the exact moment where i feel like this is pretty convenient for me to go do laundry and dishes it's it's the exact opposite of what she would actually have me do in that moment. Again, there's, there's a difference between knowing something about someone and actually knowing where they are at. And because I'm operating with Abigail in that moment off of my knowledge of what I know about her, not my knowledge of where she is in that moment, I'm not drawn into her presence. I, I'm not, I wouldn't be worshiping her, but I, I'm not coming to be with her. I'm actually leaving to go do something that I know she likes to do. So in my head, it makes sense. But it's, it's very different, church, very different. And as God is, is preparing Moses to go deliver his people, I don't think it's a coincidence. The very first thing God does is he makes sure Moses knows who he is. And he makes sure Moses knows you're not just getting the people out of their present situation. You are bringing them into my presence that they may specifically worship me. I think we talked about this in Exodus chapter 1 when we started that sometimes this, this sounds hard for us to do because trusting God and, and following him feels, feels passive, right? That, that we ought to be doing something. But church... The response of worship is not, a, is not a passive response. Our worship is what God has called us to do. And, and from Exodus 3, we see that worship includes being in God's presence. 
God wanted to move his people into the land of milk and honey. He wanted his people to be with him. So when we worship him, we are entering into his presence. God's uh, worship includes serving him. You know, that, that God said, here's the sign, Moses, of how you will know you're in my presence. You will be serving me on this mountain. The Hebrew word there literally meaning to serve. So service is, is in some way part of our worship according to being in his presence. It also includes just sacrificing all we are to him. God says to his people, when you go out into the wilderness, you may sacrifice to me. You will uh, you will." Make yourself right with me because of who I am. You, you are submitted to me. The, the word worship, you know, we associate with, with the singing of praises to God on Sunday mornings, which is for sure worship. But worship is to ascribe worth to something, which is more than just our singing on Sunday mornings, church. That is, I, I mean, it would be crazy if God knew exactly everything we were going through on earth, struggling with the effect of sin and brokenness in our lives, and said, yeah, showing up in a group of people and singing a couple songs and hearing a word and, and being in a 75-minute worship service, that's, that's going to cover you for the week. Knowing all that you guys go through, God, God does not call us to that, church. He shows up to Moses and says, I want my people to know all of who I am. And that means you are going to be with me. You are going to be worshiping me. Church, this means as moving forwards, when we, when we consider about what do we do in the life of New River Fellowship, I think two, two very basic things. First, we're going to seek to know God and make him known. That, that is, again, it's echoed in our mission statement. It's the goal of what we are trying to do here. We, we are submitted to Christ. We want to know him. We're committed to disciple-making. We want to know him and make him known. And it means, secondly, we're going to grow in entering into his presence to worship, church. I know sometimes it, it feels like it's, it's not enough, that we should be doing more things and being active. We, we want to see numbers grow. We want to see programs and ministry go. Church, God, God is a God of growth, okay? If he sees fit to bring that to us for whatever season we're in, to him be the glory, it will be done. But what he really, truly, honestly desires of us is to know him and to enter into his presence to worship him. And church, that is what we, to the best of our ability, will be, will be focused on moving forward. Man, how do we know who God is? How do we make him known to other people? How do we give him all the worship, all the worth, all the glory in our lives forever? And we, we live this way, church, because we see Exodus 3, God's restoration begins with knowing who God is and entering into his presence to worship him. We're going to move into chapter 4 next week and continue uh, this discussion that God is having with Moses. But right now we're going to have a time of response. Uh, and as the worship team comes back up, we have a couple different ways uh, that you guys can respond today. Uh, I think the first, it's, it's good and right for us to ask the question, do, do I know God? If we are capable of knowing things about God, but not really knowing who God is, church, it, it's... Very important that we ask, if it could be right now in this moment as the band plays music, it could be right now as we take communion, but but some point in time this week, it's good for us to say, God, do I, do I know you? 
or do I just know a lot of things about you? Church, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, that answer will become very plainly evident, okay? Do not be afraid of, of asking and, and just being open with God. Like, God, do I, I know you, right? Because God tells us in his word, his, his people, we will seek him and we will find him when we seek with all our heart. That, that begins with us knowing who he is. The second question I think we can evaluate this week is, how's our worship? You know, when we think about worship, is it just what takes place at church on Sundays? Does it extend into my personal life? Do I even know what that looks like? And if the answer is no, then, hey, is there somebody I can talk to about that? I mean, you, you guys can call me, and, and I, I could share that with you. you. You know people in your lives that you say, man, that that person really just knows Jesus. Like, I wonder how they know Jesus so deeply. We can ask one another, how, how do you know God, like, what, what do you do to worship him? How is your life giving worth to God? And church, I would encourage you to, uh, this week, just as you ask these two questions, to pray. Um, and, and I don't really have a, a response, a specific way to pray in this. This is just what we are called to do, church, to, as we are evaluating, as we are saying, do I know God? Do I worship him? Bring this before him. And, and give him the, the space to speak his answers to us. So a time of pray. And the last way, truly, we can respond, uh, and I didn't put this on the slide, but it, it's communion. The, the practice of taking communion, church, is, is what we're going to do. We do this once a month, but it's a way we can remind ourselves and encourage us of who God is, right, that we know him. It's, it's something we do in his presence. It's an act of worship before him. And it reminds us, guys, we were broken apart from him in our sin, that there was no way for us to have life with God, that now because we know who, who God is through his son, what he's done for us, our salvation has been made possible and through giving our lives to Christ, through submitting to him, becoming his disciples, and now living life as his disciples, we, we are able to live life with him. So we're going to respond this morning in, in a time of communion. So as the worship team uh, comes forward and leads us in our, our final song, uh, we will we'll join in taking communion together. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who desires us to know you. God, sometimes it, you know, especially in, in our songs, we, we almost can think of you as something that's just way super far beyond us, that it's not even possible to know who you are. And, and Lord, to some extent, that is true. We, we are finite, broken beings. You are an infinite, perfect, holy God. We really can't and truly know everything about you till we get to be with you uh, at the end when, when you call us home. And Lord, we are grateful that what you have called us to do, and as we've read your word and you've explained to us what it is to be right with you, God, it starts with us knowing who you are. Lord, may that truly be the foundation of who we are and what we do here at New River Fellowship because, God, we want to know you. And, God, we see that knowing you is going to bring us into your presence to worship. And, and God, more than, more than growth, more than numbers, we see that's what you want of us, God. You want us to know you. You want us to be right with you. May we be a church, Lord, that knows you and that is right with you. And as we move into our time of communion, Lord, may we be able to encourage and to remind one another of this, this truth that you have brought to us through your son, Jesus Christ.
It is in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.